Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. Amen. Hey, I want to start this way. How many of you guys love coffee? You love coffee. Anybody coffee drinkers? Yes. You know, I didn't start drinking coffee until I was in my 30s. Yeah. It was crazy. And then I, I found the magic of coffee and it was wonderful. How many of you have coffee makers at home? Yes. Okay. Look at all that. That's great. Okay. So you will recognize when I hold this up, this is a cone filter for a cone coffee maker. And this is a basket filter for a basket uh, coffee maker. Now here's the thing on this. If you try to use a cone filter instead of a basket filter, I will just tell you by experience, that's not going to work out very well. Okay. You're going to get debris. You're going to get coffee grounds. Your coffee's going to be pretty chewy and nobody likes that. Nobody, I bet you none of you have ever walked into a Tim Hortons and say, hey, give me a double-double and make it chewy. Okay, I'm pretty sure <laughs> no one has ever said that, all right, because that's not good. And uh, the reality is, if you use the wrong filter, okay, you're going to have a wrong and ruined outcome. And here's the point for us. Our priorities are the filtering system that we use to order and process life. And just like having a wrong filter, if you have a wrong priority, you're going to end up with a life that is polluted, that is disordered, and that is spiritually unhealthy. Flip side is also true. If you use the right priority, like using a right filter, you know what? You're going to have a life that is ordered well, that is going to be spiritually healthy, and that God will be able to use and bless for your good and for His glory. And God speaks to us about priorities throughout His entire Word, and we're going to take a look at that issue in a book that I'm guaranteed, I'm almost positive, none of you have uh, had your devotions in this book lately. It's a book, small book in the Old Testament called Haggai. Anybody ever read Haggai this morning? Uh, some of you are like, ah, you thought I was going to say ever. No, this morning, yeah. So if you would, turn to the book of Haggai. Easy way to find it. Go to Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, and go left three books. And you will land on Haggai or Haggai. It all depends uh, how, you, how you say it. And I've, uh, my professors in college uh, you know, said it both, both ways. And since he's not here to tell us Haggai, uh, how to pronounce his name, we're going to go with either Haggai or Haggai. It's up to you. All right. So I sometimes use them interchangeably. So let me give you a quick background to this book. Again, it's short. It's two chapters. We're going to dig into it. But let me give you the background is that the God's people have come back in to their land, okay, away from Babylonian captivity, and they have been in their land for 20 years. But they obviously have forgotten why God brought them back in the first place in terms of their priority. Their number one goal when they got into the new uh, land, returning to their land, I should say, was they were to build the Lord's temple. Because the Lord's temple represented His presence and the priority that He held in their lives. In other words, to build the temple was to say, we are putting God first. All right, That's what they were supposed to do. Well, what happened is after they took an initial swing at it, they pretty much abandoned the whole project and uh, instead gave all their attention and energy and focus to building their own homes. This was a problem on many different levels. And so God sent Haggai, His prophet, to give them a word to speak to them about their priorities. And it's really interesting that, you know, one single voice with the right words at the right time can change everything. And that is what you will see here in Haggai. Now, if you take your song sheets, some of you don't know, most of you probably do, on the back there's notes. There's notes and fill in the blanks, spots, and I've uh, recorded some things for you. And so the first um, 
phrase I have there is a phrase we're going to bump into time and time again as we go through Haggai, and it's this, give careful thought to your ways. That's what you fill in there, that blank is ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You'll see that time and time again that God wants to get this message across, give careful thought to your ways. He wants us to be intentional about our decisions and our, and our choices. You know why? Because your life and my life, our lives, are the sum total of our, our choices. Our lives are the sum total of our choices. God knows us, and He wants us to make the right ones. I've recorded a couple verses for you there from the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 12, 13-14 says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good, whether it is evil. There is going to be a time of accountability for our decisions. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus himself is speaking and says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Our choices matter. God says this throughout his word. And so he wanted the uh, people through the prophet Haggai to understand their choices matter and getting the right priorities so that they can make the right choices really, really, really important. So follow along with me. Let's dig right in. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to do a quick uh, run through. So here we go. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. By the way, if you're looking for kid names, right there. There's some good ones right there. Feel free to pick those right there. That'll be interesting for you. All right. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, God's house, remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Pause right there. God was saying, listen, if you have the wrong priorities, you're going to end up with an unfulfilled life. That's what he's saying. He says, you ran after all this other stuff and you thought it would make you satisfied. You thought it would make you fulfilled. And you know what? Because you had the wrong priorities, none of that stuff satisfied. None of it was enough. He says, you never have enough. That's what happens. If we don't put God first, if we don't focus on him and running after him, everything else that we run after will not satisfy us. It's going to come up empty. This was their experience and this is our experience. You know, you know that to be true. I know that to be true. That is how it works. And God was just confirming you know, to these people, hey, this is what happens when you have the wrong priority. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, <clears throat> but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. God is taking responsibility here for some of the stuff that has happened in their lives that was negative. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a, a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. God said, I am the one who brought this stuff to your doorstep. These things that are negative, they're happening as because of you, because of your wrong priorities, and I was the one behind it. Why? Because God is disciplining them. 
He is bringing discipline in their lives to get them off of the wrong track, which is going to end up in a ruined life. That's what he does for us. And in fact, I have it in your notes there, in a little fill in the blank, that God's discipline to us is meant to bring about right choices from us. God disciplines us in order to get us on the right path, to help us make right decisions. That is what he did here. And he, you know, he pulled out some of the stops for these people because they were heading in the wrong direction that was going to ruin their life. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. They responded to God's discipline. They obeyed. And what did God say? I am with you. Listen, when we choose to obey and respond to God's instructions, it positions us to experience more of who God is. When we choose to obey God, it positions us to experience more of who God is. His presence with us if you're a believer, God is always with you. But if you really want to experience it and dive deeper into your walk with Christ and know God better, then obedience is key. It is a key factor in doing that. And God wanted these people to know that. We go on to chapter 2 on the 21st day of the seventh month. By the way, I love that we have this recorded for us. When it gives these days and these dates... That's a powerful thing, by the way. This is just as an aside. This tells us that the Bible is not some esoteric book that is so out there that you can't, you can't pin it down. When you see dates and places and names mentioned, that is God saying, I invite you to investigate my word to see if it's not true, to see if it actually didn't take place in history. This is God's invitation to us to get into his word and to see that this is real and this happened and this, these people actually lived. It's a, powerful, it's a powerful thing. So again, verse 1, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Some powerful words to these people, because they're building this temple, and they remember the glory of the temple as it used to be. And this thing that they're starting on, it looks insignificant. It looks small. It looks pathetic. And God says, uh-uh. He says, I have promised you, and what I promised you, I will fulfill. And he continues. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house that they're building with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. He's continuing to declare himself as being and identifying himself as being God Almighty. He can do anything. He says, you know what? You see in front of you, it seems significant and seems small, but guess what? I'm a God who can do anything. I keep my promises, and I'm telling you right now, the glory of this house is going to be greater than the glory of the house in the past. So, when God speaks, you don't look at the circumstances. You don't consult your own feelings. You don't look in the rearview mirror. You look at God, you listen to God, and you look at His promises. Because some, some of us, and all of us, if you're walking with the Lord, at some time it's going to happen. God's going to make you a promise. And you know what? The circumstances seem to be saying a completely different story. And the thing in your rear mirror seems to be telling you that God is done. And God is like, nope, I am God Almighty and I keep my promises. And even though it looks small now, no, no. Wait to see what's going to happen. And so he confirms that and again declares himself to be the Lord Almighty because he can do at all. We'll talk more about that in a second. We continue in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Let me explain to you what's happening here. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was a series of holiness, things that were holy set apart and things that were defiled. And here's what uh, God is saying uh, through the prophet uh, Haggai. He said, and he was counseling and asking the priest to, to respond to this. If something was holy and you touched it, that holiness did not spread or transfer to you. But if something was defiled, which represented sin, and you touched it, that defilement spread to you. So what the lesson is, defilement spreads, holiness doesn't. And what God was saying, because of your wrong priorities and not building my house and not putting me first, your life has become defiled because the defilement has spread through everything. In other words, sin will never stay in one place. If we have the wrong priorities, sin is a predator and it will ripple effect. And just as defilement spread, you know, when you touched a dead body, you became defiled and you had to go through ritual cleansing, spiritually speaking, Sin, which is defilement, it spreads. When we touch it, when we get involved with it, it spreads and it defiles. And having the wrong priorities, these people, it's rippled effect through their entire life because that is what sin does. We think we can negotiate with sin. We think we can keep it in one little pocket and it'll stay right there. Sin never stays in one place. Like I said, it is a predator and it will move. And that's what God was speaking here to these people. Verse 15, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another to the Lord's temple. So he's taking them back and he's reminding them, hey, this is why I disciplined you. 
This is why I'm talking to you about right priorities and staying away uh, so that you won't become defiled and staying away from sin. This is why I'm doing this. And he's taking them back here. Verse 16, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. God disciplined them, but they didn't respond. They didn't turn. That's what repentance is. We turn from sin and return to God. They didn't do that in the past. So he continues, verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. It is there... Yet any, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Haggai was saying, in the past, in the past, when you had the wrong priorities, when you didn't listen, when you didn't obey, God says, I brought discipline and you still didn't repent. But now that you have, now that you have responded, as we saw in, in chapter 1, now that you have responded, and now that you have obeyed, God says, I'm going to bless you. And so, under Haggai 2, that blank fill-in is repentance. Repentance brings relief and restoration. Repentance brings relief from God's discipline and restoration. God says, now I will bless you. Why? Because you're on the right path. You're on the right path. You turn from sin. You turn from that which defiled. You put me in the right place. You put the right priority in, in, in place. You obeyed me. And God says, and now, because of that, because you responded, I will restore and I will give you relief. I will bless you. We're going to stop right there. And I want to grab some points of applications for us as we walk through this. And the first point of application is this, which we have said throughout and we've seen throughout the two chapters that we've read. The wrong priority equals an unsatisfied and ruined life. The wrong priority equals or results in an unsatisfied and a ruined life. They tried to please themselves. They tried to do their own thing apart from God. And it didn't work out. Because it can't work out. Listen, if you don't have the right thing in the top spot, then what comes next will be out of order. It'll be out of order and it ripples effects. We have to put... God in the right spot. That's what he was saying. If you have the wrong priority, you will have a disordered and a ruined life. Not what God wants for us. And so, point application number two, always put God first. Always put God first. That is what Haggai was saying. That is what the building of the temple represented. Always put God first. Now, I know that on the surface, that just sounds like a great t-shirt or a really cool bumper sticker or a nice plaque that you'd hang somewhere. Put God first. Everybody would cheer for that. No one's going to disagree with that if you're a believer. Yes, that sounds great. But let's dig into that a little bit because it matters. What does that look like? And how do we do that? Well, to walk through Haggai, he's given us five things. Five things there that I've, I've put down for you. And the first one is this. If you want to put God first, obey His instructions. Obey His instructions. Build my house, He said to the people, and the people obeyed. You've got to obey what God says. You don't think about it. You don't analyze it. You don't negotiate with it. You don't push it off till later. You do it. You obey. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's not complicated. When God speaks, we obey. Regardless of what we feel, regardless of what people say, we obey. If you want to put God first, then you've got to, 
You got to obey. I have got to obey him. James 14, 21 tells us the blessing that comes with that. Whoever has my commands, Jesus said, and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. If you want to experience more of God, then you have to obey. Because Jesus said, when you do that, not only will you experience my love and my Father's love, but when you obey, you keep my commands, I will share myself with you. I will pull up a chair to the table, and you and I will have a one-on-one conversation, a meal. We will have intimate conversation. I will share myself with you. That is one of the promises if we choose to obey. Second thing, found in chapter 1, verse 13, we need to crave His presence. We need to crave His presence. He told the people, I am with you. I am with you. Do we crave God's presence? Do we truly, truly desire it? Do we desire Him more than anything else? It's easy to say yes, but think about it. Do we really do that? I mean, man, I read Psalm 63.1, and, and I'm convicted by this. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I mean, that is passion and desire for God. I mean, we love Him so much that we'll get up early in the morning and spend time with Him. He is so important to us that we desire to please Him in all that we do. Do we really desire His presence? Do we crave His presence? Here's the great thing. Because God wants that for us, then we can ask Him to help us with that. And He will. Because it's His will. So when we say, God, I want to desire You like that. I want to thirst for You like that. We can know that He will be active in answering that prayer because this is what He wants for us. That's that's an exciting thing for me. Because I can't work up passion for God on my own. I need His help. I need the Holy Spirit's help. And as we ask God for that, He'll do that for us, which is fantastic. Third thing, chapter 1, verse 12, know His character. Know His character. They feared the Lord. They understood who He was, and they responded accordingly. They feared the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, I have that listed for you. It says this, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. God says, you want to get excited about something? Don't get excited about how smart you are, how much wisdom you have, how much money you have, all right? All the knowledge that you have and all the position you have. And don't get excited about anything like that. You want to get excited about something? Get excited about the fact that you know me. Not that you know about me, but that you know me. And we have a God that is knowable. We're going to talk about that here in two weeks. Daniel 11.32 says this, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God, they'll be strong and they will carry out great exploits or they will do great things, depending upon your uh, translation. That is what God wants for us. He wants us to know Him so that we will have strength and we will do things that will make a difference for all eternity that God directs us to do. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, Be strong. And that is, receive His encouragement. Receive God's encouragement. Sometimes we play the victim. Sometimes we think, I don't deserve God's encouragement. I'm too bad, or I'm too this, or I'm too that, or whatever. God wants you to receive His encouragement. When He speaks a word to you, He wants you to believe it. 
He wants you to accept it. He wants you to receive it. Because when you receive his encouragement, you know what you're slamming the door to? The voice of the enemy who wants to discourage you. The voice of the enemy who wants to bring despair into your life. When you receive the encouragement and the truth of God, you're slamming the door on what the enemy wants to do to discourage you. God wants you to believe what he says to you. He wants you to believe the encouraging words that he gives to you, the promises that he gives you out of his words. Psalm 3.3 says this, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. God wants to lift your head high. Not in a prideful way, but in a way that lifts you up and gives you encouragement and gives you life. I don't have this verse, but I encourage you to write it down. Matthew 6.8, Jesus says this, Your Father knows what you need. Father knows what you need. Which means God will always give you the right word at the right time because he knows what you need all the time. God will always give you the right word at the right time because he knows what you need all the time. You, Father, your Father knows what you need. He knows what you need. And as you spend time with him, he will speak that word to you. Finally, trust his promises. He says, the glory of this present house will be greater. Trust his promises. When God gives you a promise, he means to keep it. And he will keep it. But think of it this way. Think of it this way. And this will bend your mind a little bit. Maybe it just bends mine because my mind is small. But it bends it. Let me read it to you. Revelation 21.6 says this. He said to me, it is done. This is Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That means God stands above time and space. There is no past or future with God. It is all, always, a consistent now. Which means God knows what's in the future because he's already in the future. So that means when he gives you a promise here, he already knows how, when, and where it's going to be fulfilled because in God's mind it already has been. Following? Yes. No one's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Wes. Yeah. Think of it this way. Imagine you went back 50 years. And you talk to somebody and you said, hey, just so you know, this phone that hangs on the wall that you think, you know, that, that you need a long cord for if you're going to walk around and talk so your parents can't hear you. Remember that deal that you did that, right? And then you had the rotary dial. It wasn't that fun. I saw, my kids saw it and they're like, what is that thing? I'm like, that was a phone. That's what we used, right? Before we had smoke signals. This is what we used. So now imagine you go back there in time, 50 years, and then you try to explain to someone about a cell phone. And you say, hey, just so you know, that phone, it's not going to be on the wall. It's going to be in your pocket. Yeah, you're going to have to carry around. There's no cords. There's no anything. You're going to carry it around. You're going to be able to talk to people anytime you want, all the time, all around the world. And it's this big. And they look at you like you've lost your mind. You're like, listen, I know it's true because I own one. I used one. I'm from the future. And I know that that is what is coming for you because I've already seen it. Because I'm from the future. God knows how to keep his promises in the present because he's already fulfilled it in the future, because he's already in the future. God keeps his promises, so you can trust his promises. You can trust his promises. Now, if you look at all these five, you know one thing they all have in common? God's word. You can't obey instructions that you don't know, right? You can't crave his presence if you aren't spending time with him in his word. You can't know his character if you're not spending time in his word, listening and hearing his revelation to us you know, from, his, uh, from his word. You can't receive his encouragement if you don't have his word that's going to speak truth and words of encouragement to you. 
Trust his promises. You've got to know the promises. They all have one thing in common. It's the word of God. And so in order to put God first, we have to have the word of God in our lives. We have to spend time with God in, in his word in our lives. So let me end with this. Put God first. That sounds great. It sounds awesome. We see some points of actually how to do that. So let me ask you, are you willing to do that in this coming year? Don't answer out loud. Answer in your heart because that's where it really counts because God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Listen, these people had a wrong filter. When they had a wrong filter, a wrong priority, their lives were a disordered mess. God doesn't want that for us. He gave us the message of Haggai for our benefit because he wants us to know how important this is. So I wrote a little uh, question at the bottom of your sheet there. If I put God first, what would that look like? Let's get honest. Let's take it out of, hey, this is a great idea to cheer and, and celebrate to street level. What would that look like in your life? Really, what would it look like in your life if you put God first? Pick an area, your marriage, your relationships, what you do with your time, your entertainment, what you look at, what you listen to, what you do with your body, what you do with your finances. Okay, what you do with your job. What would it look like if you put God first in your life in these areas? What would it look like? What would it look like? Think about it. Be specific. Because God says, do what the Word says. And man, I want that for you. I want that for me. God says, you know what? Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Because they matter. They matter a lot. And we don't know. We might meet Jesus face to face this year. How awesome would that be? What do you want to do when you stand before him? Do you want to stand there with regrets going, ah, man, I wish I would have done that. I don't. I already got enough regrets. I don't. I want to say, Lord, I want to live. You Help me to know how to put you first. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Let's put God first this year. And let's watch. Imagine what would happen if we did. Imagine what would happen if we did. Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. Just take a moment and respond to what God talked to you about. Respond to what God, by His Spirit, has said to you in this time that we've kind of just burned through this book quickly. I understand that. But my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would take one truth, and just put it on your heart, man. Because He loves you. God loves you. What did He say to you? What would it look like for you to truly put God first in every area? To trust Him. To obey Him. To crave Him. To desire Him. What would that look like for you? Take a moment and respond to Him. Final question, if you're here or you're listening to this online and you've never invited Christ into your life, there's a God who loves you passionately. But he tells us the truth. He says that we're all sinners and the payment for that sin is separation from him forever. If nothing happens in our lives, then you know what? To change that, we'll step off this planet into eternity, separated from God forever in a place of justice and judgment called hell. That is not what God wants for us. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sin, to pay for our penalty on the cross. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 tells us, that He gave His only Son, that whoever, whoever, wide open invitation, 
you, me, everybody, whoever believes in him, trusts in him, puts their faith in him, turns from their sin and says, God, I want you, I want to follow you, I give my life to you, I surrender my life to you. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life, a home in heaven, relationship with God forever. If that is you, you're like, that's what I want, Wes. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want a relationship with God. I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him. The good news is that's what he wants for you too. So just tell him that. Breathe your commitment to him through prayer. Let me help you with that. If you want to give your life to Christ, just silently pray this prayer after me, not out loud in your heart. Mean the words as your own. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me, that you have life to give me, and I want that. And so I turn from my sin. I repent. I turn to you. Come into my life and save me. I believe in you. I am all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. But if you prayed that and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. So I'm going to ask you with no one looking around but me. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Say, Wes, I prayed it. I meant it. I just gave my life to Jesus, man. Here's my hand. It's a hand that I raised of commitment and prayer. I just gave my life to Christ. That's you. Just let me remember you in a closing prayer if you want. Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. If you're listening to this online, you can go to our website and click on the tab, uh, How to Know God. It'll walk you through some information that will really help you in your new uh, relationship with Jesus. And we'd love to hear about it too. Please feel free to contact us. God, thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Thank you that we can walk out of here knowing that we can put you first. That is what you desire for us and that is what you will help us do. Lord, may we choose to do that as individuals. Lord, may we choose to do that as a church and that you would get glory and we would see you work in ways that only you can. Thank you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.